The scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, verse 29. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. The word of God. So as we get into this next reflection from John's letter to the entire church during his time, just a little bit of um, announcement regarding it. You may, as we've been reading this, go, oh, John's talking about Antichrist. That sounds interesting. Um, we're not getting into that today, but Antichrist is coming on August 21st, just to let you know that. I'm predict no, I'm not predicting the Antichrist is coming. Um, John is going to come back to that topic of the Antichrist in, in uh, chapter 5, so that's when we'll be uh, in that section. And then we'll come back to chapter 2 and see what he says about the Antichrist as well as the spirit of the Antichrist. But today we're taking a look at John, what John has to say about our relationship with the world. And so John, he begins, he's talking about the fact that um, he says, listen, uh, and he's, if you remember some of the language that he uses in his letter, I love how he speaks 
to his readers as if they are little ones. And all of us in Jesus, I mean, if you've been born again, then there was a time when you started your relationship, you used to be a baby in Jesus. Um, but, uh, you know, John, the other thing this, that this is saying about him is that he is the only remaining apostle. And he is more than likely in his early 90s when this letter gets written to the church. Kind of the elder statesman of the church, the only one who remains of the people who said, listen, you know, we were, we were tortured. Many of us were killed, not because, not just simply because of what we believe, but because of what we saw what we heard Jesus say, what we touched with our own hands, this is what we're communicating to you. And so here John is talking about our relationship with the world, and John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now, this literally means, and you've probably heard both of these words before, but he says, if you were to read it in the Greek, do not agape. Anybody ever heard that word before? You've probably heard that word before because preachers love to bring up the Greek and talk about, you know, the three different uh, uh, words for love in Greek. And one of those is agape. It's that, it's that um, no strings attached kind of love. So he says, if we were to read it in the Greek, do not agape the cosmos. It's like, oh, I've heard the word cosmos before, but that's his word for world. This is, you know, as he's communicating with the people in his day. But it's interesting because if you think back, you go, uh, wait a minute, I've, I, I've heard this somewhere before. So if we are not to agape the cosmos, God does. God agaped the cosmos. And this is John's writings. This is John 3.16. For God so agaped, if we're going to stick a, a uh, you know, past tense English on the word agape, John, uh, God agaped the world. So, the world, the cosmos, so much that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. So if we were just to kind of unpack agape, agape is, you know, I love. And it's I love with no strings attached. I'm just going to continue to love you no matter what. It can mean I wish well, I take pleasure in, I long for, I welcome with desire, I prize you above other things. I am unwilling to abandon you or do without you. So now we can see, oh, okay, I get how God loves the world, that God loves, he says, I love you. God says, I wish well for you. God says, I take pleasure in you. Isn't that awesome? I long for you. Sometimes we think, oh, God's not in, in need of anything, and he's not. But it's, it's amazing that he longs for us. He desires to be with us. I welcome with desire. I welcome you into my world and into a relationship with me. I prize you above all other things. I am unwilling to abandon you and unwilling to go without you. So God loves the world in that way. But it's interesting here, John says that we are not to love the world. So I'm kind of thinking maybe the word, the world, uh, takes on different meanings in different contexts. Because other scriptures would say this. He, um, 
you used to live following the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.2 that the world has its own way of doing things and has a different leader. That this world has a way of captivating us through deceptive philosophies, human traditions, and spiritual forces. He wrote to the church in Colossae where he says in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Scriptures talk about the fact that this world can corrupt and overcome us when we get entangled in it. Peter would have this to say to the church. He says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were than at the beginning. The, this world can pollute us. James himself says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So the world, in the sense that John means it here, is not the global earth, nor is it the, you know, the mass of humanity on this earth, which God himself loves. And I think one of the illustrations that we can see of this world and its values can be seen back in the Old Testament in the story of the Tower of Babel. And it shows something about the world and what it values. Uh, the, the world's progress, you know, our technology, the way we govern ourselves, the way we organize ourselves, there are, there are things in this world that can make us better off but there are also things in this world that may not make us better. We may be better off, we may be more well off, but that does not necessarily mean that we are better people for it. And because we like being better off, it's easy for us to fall in love with the world. Fall in love with the world or the things in the world. Uh, this isn't, isn't so much a warning against a love for the beauty of creation. Michelle and I, we, uh, the Bungies had given us their kayaks and we love getting out onto White River. And we just spent four or five hours last Sunday out on White River just marveling at God's creation and just really being in awe for us because here, you know, we moved from the Detroit area right into Indianapolis. We're thinking that we have to drive 30, 45 minutes away in order to see scenes like this, but we, you know, we're five minutes away from Fort Bend. We can go hiking in the hills of Indiana. I didn't think Indiana had hills. Uh, when we were here as college students, we were doing college in the middle of cornfields. And so, but just the beauty of God's creation. Our family has been up to the Upper Peninsula to, you know, to kayak in Lake Superior and to see pictured rocks and just the, the beauty of God's creation. And this isn't the world that John is speaking to here. It's not a warning against a love for what God has created in the world. Instead, it's more of a warning against loving the material things which characterize the world system. And John says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Everybody say in. 
If you remember, if you've been kind of tracking with us, we've already seen that there are ways in which you can see, you know, some people claim that they're followers of Jesus. Yes, I'm a Christian. You know, I, you know, I go to this church. I go to that church. I'm a member of this church, whatever it might be. John says there are, there are people who claim certain things. They say certain things about faith, but really what it comes down to is, do you live it out? And John has already told us that it's not just about living out the truth. It's that the truth lives in you, that the word is in you, because you can't live out the word unless the word is in you. You can't live uh, the truth if the truth is not in you. And here he uses that little word again, in, to talk about the fact that God's love needs to be in us before we can live out God's love among us. And it's interesting, we often think of the Father, I'm going to tack on the I-N-G to a Greek word, but we often think of the Father agape us. Uh, we don't often think of us agapeing God. Do you love God with no strings attached? Do you love God unconditionally? I don't know about you, but there have been times where I've attached, attached strings to my love for God. It's like, you know, I want God to do something. I, I, I want something for my own life or maybe for my kids, Michelle, whatever it might be. But sometimes I do attach strings to my love for God. Sometimes my love for God is conditional. I'm just confessing that to you right now, that that can happen for me. And I would imagine that that could happen for many of us. But when we, when we agape the world, agape for the Father is not in us. And if it's not in you, it's not coming out of you. Simply, love for the world is incompatible with love for our Heavenly Father. Therefore, if anyone claims to love God yet, loves the world, there is something wrong with our claim to love God. And throughout the centuries, this isn't just, you know, in our time, in our era. I mean, this is John. He's, he's writing to first century Christians about the draw and the pull that the world and its values can even have on them. But through the centuries, Jesus' followers have dealt with this pull of the world in, in a variety of ways. At one time, it was thought that if you were a really committed Christian and really wanted to love God instead of the world, you would leave human society and live as a monk or a nun out in a desolate monastery. Now, I'm not saying that there is anything wrong about going out and, and, and being alone with God for hours and maybe even for days. Uh, it is, it's an amazing and, and very rewarding time for you to go spend time with the Lord longer than just 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. You know, I, weeks ago, I encouraged you to actually literally take a walk with God. Go, go, go take a hike. You know, go, go take a hike with God. You know, walk with God. But, but the thing is, is that this approach and other approaches that seek to take us out of the world have two problems. The first problem is that we bring the world with us into the monastery. We do. I mean, it, it, it's still in us. We still grapple with those things. And if you have ever attempted to pray and not be distracted about the different things that you've had going on in your life, the different needs, the to-do list that you've got to have. In fact, some of those, um, some of the teachers of prayer say, listen, it's okay to have those distractions. Actually take those to the Lord, maybe even write them down and say, okay, I'm going to say that for later. And then I'm going to get back to focusing on the Lord. But we do tend to take the world into the monastery with us. The other problem is that Jesus intended us to be in the world, but not of it. And we can see that in his prayer for us in 
the writings of John, John chapter 17, verses 14 through 18, where it was not Jesus' desire to take his followers out of the world, but to live his values in the world that he was attempting to save. John would continue, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. We've uh, dealt with this word before, desire to lust. Sometimes when we see lust, we go, oh yeah, that's wrong. Um, but it's, it's really a word that's made up of two words where one part of it is focused on, the second part is passionate desire. So you're focused on a passionate desire. It's okay to be passionate about your kids and to just love them and to love on them. And it's, it's okay to, you know, it's, you know, you, you need to love on each other and, and be there for each other as, as husband and wife. And you can do that for, for, for friends. So this, this, this word, it can be positive or negative depending on the context. And the character of the world is, expresses itself through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the pride of life. And these lusts seek to draw our flesh, our needs, our desires away into sin and worldliness. And the, the idea behind pride of life is someone who lives for superiority over other people. You can't read Philippians chapter 2 with real, without realizing that what Jesus wants for us is to outserve one another. That as couples, you would outserve each other, that you would relate with friends in a humble way, that at work, that you would um, be humble in your approach to even how you lead, not just how you might serve those around us. But this pride of life is superiority over other people, mostly by impressing others through outward appearances, even if by deception. And then um, to, to get an idea of how the world works in this way, just think of the, the commercials that we see on TV or, you know, you can't go through a store without seeing the magazines and the covers and what they're trying to sell there. But they all appeal. And in fact, if a commercial is doing well, it's going to appeal to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of those all wrapped up into one. And in, li- in listing these aspects of the world, John, it's possible, he might have in mind the first pursuit of worldliness. You know, when we go back into biblical history in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, it could be said that Eve, she took the forbidden fruit when she saw that the tree was good for food. She thought about how good the fruit would taste, how it would satisfy her flesh. She went after the lust of the flesh. Or it said that she took the forbidden fruit when she saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. She saw how pretty and desirable it was, and it pleased just that, that artistic sense about her, and she went after the lust of the eyes. It's, it's said that, you know, when she took of the forbidden fruit, that she believed it was desirable to make a person wise. How smart the fruit would make her, how her husband would admire her, and she went after the pride of life. And we have to be diligent about whether or not the world is influencing us or we are influencing the world around us. And I would just give you a couple questions to ask. Is this, and this could be a song, could be something you're reading, could be a movie you're watching, a television show you're watching, whatever it might be. 
Or it could just simply be, you know, um, the, the, the music that you're listening to, the people that are around you. And Jesus, again, going back to John 17, isn't, it's not his desire that you would just completely draw from your circle of friends, but are you influencing your circle of friends or are they influencing you? Is this of the world or of God? And does this help me become more worldly or more godly? Think of your standard for success. Is it worldly or godly. I remember writing my pastor when I spoke to him about my fear of going into the ministry and, and going and getting you know some more education on a master's level and told him that I was just very afraid of failure. And my pastor, John, wrote me back. He said, listen, you know, from what I know about your dad, your dad was all into success. In fact, the church that we, he chose for us to go to was a direct result of Ford executives going to that church. He wanted to rub shoulders with those guys, but thank you, thank God that he did because it was the church that myself, my two brothers ended up coming to faith in Christ. But the thing is, is that we can have the world's standards when it comes to our success. And the thing is, is that, you know, when you take a look at a person like the Apostle Paul, would you see him as a failure or as a success? Think of your standard for what makes a person of the opposite sex appealing. Is it a worldly standard or a godly standard? Uh, Think of your standard for spirituality. Is it worldly or is it godly? Because there is a worldly spirituality out there. There are a variety of things that people can believe in. Is it is it dictated by the world? Is it defined by the world or is it defined by Jesus and what he taught? And it shows how great our need is to be, to, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What something Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's just incredibly important for us to guard what influences our lives because followers of Jesus follow a different set of values. We live a distinct set of principles. We follow different laws because we revere a different king and we are ambassadors of a different kingdom. Jesus said in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. So how do we overcome the world? First of all, it's making sure that we're doing this. John says that the world and its desires are going, they're going to go away. They're going to pass away. But the person who does the will of God lives forever. Followers of Jesus love talking about eternal life, and it's a kind of life, it's a quality of life. It's not something that you have when you die. It's actually something that you have when you have Jesus. John's going to refer to this in John chapter 5, that he who has the Son has life. You possess it right now like you possess anything, like, like you own anything. But you, if you have the Son and he has you, then you've got life. But this is the quality of life that God wants for us. But then John would say, in, in again, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, he says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Do you remember this is the conversation that he was having with Nicodemus in John chapter 3? That, that, that the person who is going to have eternal life is the person who is born again and born of God, born of the Spirit, not necessarily born of flesh. 
John continues, he says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. My encouragement to you would be that not only would you have a time in your life where you knew that, okay, it's a point of decision. I'm, I'm trusting Jesus. I've got confidence in Jesus for this life and the one to come. I place my trust in Jesus because of the finished work that he did on the cross in doing away with, with my crimes and the consequences of, of those crimes. But not only would I have that confidence, that trust, that faith in him in that moment, but that it would actually become a daily confidence in Jesus. That as you're going throughout your day at school, as you're going throughout your day at work, that you place your confidence and trust in him. That you would make sure that you've got that time in the morning that you are transforming your mind so that it's not conforming to the pattern of this world and that you take what God has shared with you in those quiet moments and you take it with you throughout the rest of your day. But let that confidence, that trust, and that belief in Jesus be something that's daily and constant and consistent. It's an hourly thing. It's a minute-by-minute thing. You are, you're, you're going to work with Jesus. You're going to school with Jesus. You're doing your homework with Jesus. You're, you're hanging out, you know, you're, you're spending time with your friends with Jesus. But your confidence in Him is a confidence that's a daily one. And then you will find yourself overcoming different things that come up. Those values, that, that value system that's in our world, you'll be able to overcome them as you continue to trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you have taught us that you, it's never been your desire to, to abandon us and to leave us alone. But Lord, in that desire to be with us, you have given us your words so that we can encourage one another by them. And I pray, Father God, that in this world, you would help us to live in this world and love the people of this world like you love the people of this world. But then I pray, Father God, that we would make sure that we're not allowing any of the world's value system into our lives and into our hearts so that you would continue to be the one on the throne instead of us and instead of the values and the desires and the lusts of this world. Help us to continue to be in the world, but not of the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.